We are joined this week by Chance Miller. Hello, Chance Miller. Hey, Mayo. How are you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm great. You didn't give me an adjective this time. Usually, it's like the esteemed Chance Miller. I think is what indubitable. Yeah, I think I did that one before. I've got. I kind of run through the gamut now. How about amazing? Amazing, about simple. I like it. Amazing chance. Yeah. Uh, Zach is off this week, so chance is here. Uh, pretty chill week in terms of news. Nothing crazy, but there's some there's some stuff to get into. Uh, firstly, which is kind of nice, on April first, April Fool's Day, uh, the Steve Jobs Archive actually announced a new ebook, which is going to contain never before seen Steve Jobs letters, speeches, interviews. Uh, when I post about this, there are a few people saying, why do people bother to announce things on uh, April Fool's Day that's actual news? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, if you had forgotten or you don't know, Apple itself was founded on April 1st, uh, about 40, 48 years ago now. Uh, so that's why they did it. They did it to coincide with the with the founding of the company. But I don't know about you, Chance, but I always love reading new Steve Jobs stuff. Like, he wasn't mm-hmm. a, a perfect individual, obviously. You know, there, he had many flaws. But he was clearly someone who had some crazy ideas motivated people got stuff going and you know in some ways the results speak for themselves right like yeah. he heralded this company to incredible success yes he was also you know bad person in many ways disregarded his children you know like lisa and all, and all that stuff so i don't i don't hold him as a uh you know the model the mm-hmm. model human to replicate but he's certainly an interesting individual so any news about anything kind of new uh is because like the other thing about this is when i post the story i was like I need to put official ebook in the in the name because if you just search yeah. like Steve Jobs ebook, there's so many like you know get rich quick scams based on you know trading on the Steve Jobs name, right? Because that's just what people do. Uh, but this is this is official as it can get because it's from the Steve Jobs archive, which launched in September last year, and it's run by uh, Laureen Power Jobs, his wife, uh, Johnny Ivan, some other people. So hopefully it'd be a pretty nice little little collection. Yeah, I kind of wish it, wish it was a a physical book that mm. wouldn't have to be free, obviously, but you could. Buy it and just a coffee table book, kind of like the designed in Apple, designed by Apple book, but significantly cheaper. That would, it would just be a nice little <laughs> thing to have. Could donate the money the from it. Apple and California book was it two hundred? At least there and there were two sizes. The bigger one was. Oh yeah, you get a bigger one. <laughs> and they yeah, they funny. they held yeah. their value because I've I didn't buy one at the time, but I've looked on eBay and they still go for at least as much as they cost when when they were new. And they they came out like the most awful time because it was literally like the next year they introduced so many products that look different. Yeah. Like, you know, like the iPhone 10 is not in that book because it predates it or whatever, or the Apple Watch uh, redesign, etc. Um, so it's quite, it was very much a thing of the, you know, almost outdated as soon as it came out in, in many ways. Yeah, so here's one yeah. on eBay. Sold last week. It's the smaller version, $948. Holy moly. So not only are they holding their value, they're going up quite a bit. So should have well, invested all our money in I know. Johnny Ive books. Yeah, forget Apple stock. You need Johnny <laughs> Ive books. That's what, that's what's making money these days. But yeah, make something wonderful. Yeah. Comes out April eleventh. Uh I think it's gonna be relatively small ebook, which may be why it's not gonna be a physical book. Like mm-hmm. I think it's gonna have a few, like, you know, maybe like a dozen or so um artifacts included in it for lack of a better word and i think they've said some of them will be you know the big hitters the one you've not seen before and stuff and then there'll be a few never before seen um materials so and i think it might have some video clips which might be another reason why it's digital only Mm -hmm. but surely they might be planning something physical eventually um down the road it feels like something they would like to do um and this is the first thing that the series of archive has already done apart from that you know initially putting the website up so um, I can't wait to check that. And the fact that it's free is nice too. Mm-hmm. They could have done it like, you know, pay some money and it goes to charity or something, but completely free. Can't really complain about that. Um, also, you know, bringing it back around more to the, the real world of Apple News, the weather app has had an interesting week in that it has been unavailable or at least sketchily available um, from... Originally, it was the first, like, it was like Monday. It was it Saturday kind of... is when the Saturday. first outage... Then it was down for like 12 or 16 hours. Then it went back down on Tuesday morning, I think. Mm. And even now, if I look at my home screen right now, the weather app widget says no data available. I think they're still having troubles. And the. So when it came back up on Tuesday afternoon, I guess, the system status page changed 
said it was fine, said everything was back to normal. So I updated our post and then tweeted it again, saying Apple says the problems are fixed. Then like an hour later, it went down again. And it was down for like another 12 hours. Then, Then last night too, it went down again. But also last night, we had iMessage problems, photos problems. So even beyond the weather app, it's been a rough week for Apple cloud services. Apple services. And there was that um, separate story kind of related that they're actually cutting off support for some older iOS versions yeah. coming up. So I think it was like iOS 12 and earlier. 11, uh, I think is what it was. 11, iOS 11, sorry, but before iOS 12. Yeah. yeah. So iOS 11 and earlier, um, people that have those devices running on those operating systems, they will just lose access to everything uh by iCloud, basically, mm-hmm. like apart from storage. And all of uh, these outages are always made worse by the unreliable status page, too. Like, I think at this point, it's pretty clear the status page is updated by a single human. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, probably a single human that's on California time, because outages, you know, that happen in the morning and like my time don't appear on the status page for hours and hours and hours and hours. Uh, often after they've already been resolved. So, like, the people that are actually tasked to fix the problems are working 24-7, mm-hmm. as you probably would expect, right, in various geographies around the world. But the person who's responsible for updating the status page uh, I think is mostly asleep when these problems <laughs> <laughs> start showing up. Kind of hilarious. Because, I mean, like, you, you can't use it as a source of reliability. Like, no. when those weather app problems were going on, there was a, you know, there was one status report after a few hours that, you know, people are having, you know, slowness updating the service or whatever is what it said. Well, initially it said was... to only data for, for users in Alaska was affected. And that was just never true. That was not. It was data everywhere. <laughs> like, no, it's just Alaska. I don't even know where they got that from. Like, <laughs> Someone, the first bug yeah. report came from Alaska. Like, Alaska only. The, the person uh, put Alaska on was... the website, then went to bed, then yeah. woke up and had to <laughs> Yeah, then it. that was marked as... That was marked as resolved, so the website then said everything was fine and dandy, even though people are still reporting it being down and unavailable. And then another couple of hours later, they finally put up the error report saying, you know, weather may be slower and unavailable worldwide. Uh, so it was a big, a big, a big mess. Um, and I would, I, this is the first time we've really seen a big issue with the weather app in terms of availability mm-hmm. since it transitioned to the dark sky back in infrastructure with iOS 16. Um, but performance and reliability is kind of one branch. The other branch is whether people like the weather app or not. And there was a, there was a funny coincidence, I think it was last weekend, mm-hmm. where Dark Sky was revived very briefly. So like over the weekend, people could log into Dark Sky that would previously have been discontinued, and it would actually show the weather forecast again for a very fleeting amount of time, and then it went back down. And this was kind of coincidentally uh, timed with people mourning the loss of Dark Sky uh, because obviously when Apple took it over, Dark Sky was then uh, set to shut down. It got, you know, the actual shutdown gate got delayed a few times, but it finally happened uh, in March. And people now kind of are, like acquiescing to the weather app. But I think a lot of the Dark Sky hardcore fan base preferred the Dark Sky interface in the way they kind of visualized the weather. Yeah. And I don't know what, I don't know if you were a big Dark Sky user or you don't, you, you necessarily care about the weather app layout. I, Primarily had transitioned to Carrot Weather, but using the Dark Sky API. Mm. But there was an interesting mm. thing too last month from, I think he was a data visualization like scientist, and he posted, yes. uh, he called it a eulogy for Dark Sky and uh, saying the app was a data visualization like masterpiece just because of how it took all of that real time data and presented it, and you could see everything at once. And that that was an interesting look at how even though the dark sky design was basically never changed how they created it and it was perfect from the start and people fell in love with it and how the weather app just doesn't match what the dark sky interface gave people. Yeah. Cause the, the weather app obviously got a big upgrade um, in the last couple of years mm-hmm. because before, before the acquisition, it was very simple and then they've updated it and now you can get like historical weather by tapping on each of the tiles and, you just get more information and i have been a, i i don't care about the weather that much i've always just used the weather app but i don't remember my family have, have gone on to dark sky because obviously you know dark sky had the the next hour precipitation mm-hmm. warnings as its like unique feature 
But outside of that, it also just had a slightly different way of showing the upcoming weather conditions. And I think the big thing that a lot of people liked the Dark Sky UI for was the kind of hourly forecast for every day of the week coming up. So like the 10-day forecast was visualized quite well in that you could see the course of the weather for, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in one screen. And that, um, because they had the bars that went all the way across and you could see when it's going to rain for each day of the Mm -hmm. week and what temperatures it's going to be. Whereas the Apple Weather app, it doesn't really disclose that information without you having to tap on every single day because their kind of tile for 10-day forecast just has like the low and the high temperature. It doesn't have the per hour information. So the only way to get like, what's the temperature going to be at 1 p.m. on tomorrow i.e friday right you just have to click on friday and then it opens up that kind of modal window with the graph of friday's weather um, and then you have to like you know scrub along that if you want to see that and then you want to go to a different day you have to swipe along go back down so i think the big thing that the app weather app is missing that would satiate the kind of dark sky fan base or the people that like the dark sky interface is a more complicated layout for the 10-day forecast um i don't think it's like a deal breaker and obviously most people in the world have gotten on with apple weather you know fine enough over even before it was you know enhanced by the the additional dark sky data so it's not like a you know google maps apple maps situation back in 2012 that was a disaster this is just kind of like a you know a small frustration from the people that really really love the old dark sky ui but i don't get the sense that apple's done with the weather app i think there's you know more to come in time maybe ios 17 or something having some new features and you can imagine that like Maybe these tile, the, the kind of tile layout of the weather app in time will become more customizable. Maybe there'll just be different views for the forecast. Because like, if you look at the weather app on the iPad or the Mac, there's already a couple of toggles you can do to change the, the layout of the grid. Hide the map, show the map, you know, move it. Stuff moves around, puts the map maximized to the right-hand side and stuff. The iPhone app doesn't really have any of those customization options exposed. But you can see they're at least like interested in it. So... Like the old, the dark sky style ten day forecast, you could imagine being like a toggle in the in the tab mm-hmm. of the ten day forecast and stuff like that. So I think people that um, are kind of bemoaning the loss of old dark sky maybe have some um, trajectory to getting some of those features back. Uh, I don't think they're going to bring dark sky back as an application because why would they? Uh, but some of the stuff that's kind of quote missing might come back in one way or another to kind of make everybody everybody happy. But I like Apple weather. I like the animations. It gives me the most important information. And I also have the Apple weather um, participation notifications turned on. So they come through as, Mm -hmm. you know, pop-up alerts on on the lock screen and stuff. And they work pretty well. The only thing I would say is it feels like a a missed opportunity not to take advantage of live activities there. Because the Apple weather notifications, each Mm -hmm. one comes through as a separate banner. And then they stack up. And you have to, like, long press on them to see the you know the 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 graph or the chart of the of the weather of the weather forecast if they were instead um done as a live activity they could just kind of pop up on the lock screen with a full you know richly laid out ui and it would be a lot better yeah. uh but that kind of stuff is the live steps. the live activities is something that uh carrot does really well it, yeah it shows a nice graph of the precipitation and shows you when it's going to end and what kind of precipitation and all of that so that's i think carrot weather is for anybody who doesn't want apple weather but liked dark sky carrot weather is probably the way to go Mm. and they also have a feature where you can pretty much replicate most of the dark sky interface in carrot weather because carrot weather's interface is customizable to like no end you can move everything around design your custom little tile boxes and basically customize it to your heart's content so for anybody who is looking for something it's probably the way to go yeah, and the live activity kind of adoption thing is something that I'm kind of curious to see how many of Apple's system apps adopt that in general in the next like OS mm-hmm. update because obviously it came late in the 16 cycle. Um, and as we've seen with a lot of system stuff, they have a few things that get on board with the launch and then it takes them a couple of years before like the rest of the team's like, oh, we should probably adopt this. Same with the Dynamic Island stuff, right? Like I think that's a big theme for you know iOS 17, iOS 18 is all of these system apps that it will make sense to support live activities, it makes sense to support the dynamic island more deeply, how many of them actually do? Because right now, you know, we haven't really seen the dynamic island be adopted in any more places than it was at launch, right? And so iOS 17 is another opportunity for that, especially as all the iPhone 15 models, including the cheaper ones, will have a dynamic island of some kind. 
and the same that same kind of logic applies to uh, live activities as well so the weather apps just kind of bundled up in that general schedule of how apple works and that kind of goes back to some of the things we talked about when the iphone 14 was first announced and how there were some rumors that the dynamic island was pretty last minute in the process and or at least done on the quiet yeah. so like the, the like the os team most of the os team wasn't aware of it until very recently because i think what so we like, heard was it was basically one guy who came up with it and then it wasn't until super close to the announcement that word actually got out to broader teams at apple yeah i mean i think a like a a, a small niche group of people worked on it like it like one guy kind of led it obviously but like you know the, all the functionality and the different um views were made by more than one person but it wasn't like that small group wasn't shared widely with the team at large right so like the the, the, the you know the, the team of developers working on the weather app for 16 were not aware of mm-hmm. the dynamic island yeah. being a thing you know um, they read the rumors like everybody else so they probably knew that the next iphone was going to have a little cut out at the top of the screen uh you know a floating pill but they they weren't exposed to the apis or have knowledge that they could you know integrate them more deeply and so all that kind of stuff was done on like an ad hoc basis a few months up running up to the launch of the iphone 14 now that it's you know public official everybody knows about it maybe ios 17 it might have a more unified implementation by all of the apple system services mm-hmm. or it might be like the touch bar kind <laughs> of situation where it just gets abandoned right but hopefully not happy hour this week is brought to you by ladder if you're anything like me you have a certain tendency to put off things until the very last minute dentists opticians appointments filing taxes that kind of stuff and look it's usually fine but you shouldn't mess around and wait when it comes to life insurance get term coverage life insurance through ladder today Go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour to see if you're instantly approved. You know, I've started needing glasses recently and that moment of getting them, it was like, oh wow, I am getting older and stuff like life insurance somehow feels immediately more relevant. Life insurance gives you peace of mind to know that your family will be taken care of if the worst happens. Ladder is a 100% digital service when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. That means no doctors, no needles and no paperwork required. It's all done online you just need a phone or laptop to apply you fill out ladders application form and their smart algorithms will work in real time and tell you instantly if you're approved ladder has no hidden fees and you can cancel at any time get a full refund if you cancel within the first 30 days and ladders policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of paying claims and ladders customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on trustpilot so if you've been thinking about getting life insurance, Ladder is the place to do it. If you aren't sure, but you just want some more information, go on Ladder's website, fill out their online calculator, and you can see the costs and terms of the plan with no commitment. And as the cost of life insurance goes up as you age, now is the time to act and get it done. So go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour today to see if you're instantly approved. That's spelled L-A-D-D-E-R-L-I-F-E dot com slash happy hour. One more time, ladderlife.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Ladder for sponsoring the show. Okay, another interesting thing that was originally raised by uh, Panic's Cable Sasa is the kind of idea of a dedicated passwords app for the Mac, but also iOS, right? Because as it stands mm-hmm. today, uh, Apple has a syncing password solution with iCloud Keychain. Um, but it kind of doesn't really have a surface. Like, in more recent iOS versions, they've kind of added it to the settings app on the iPhone um, and iPad, so you have, like, a dedicated password section. And then on the Mac, it's kind of integrated into Safari settings, which is very bizarre. Like, they have the Keychain Access app, but Keychain Access is not meant to be looked at by a regular person. It's just, you know, a weird, obscure kind of database viewer for something that shouldn't really be publicly exposed um and although apple has been doing these initiatives to try and get rid of the password entirely with the passkey stuff most websites do use passwords even if you do have passkeys i think a dedicated place to just see which passkeys you have mm-hmm. manage them makes a lot of, a lot of sense and that's kind of what um cable sasa was you know evangelizing in, in his blog post right yeah apple's opposed opposition to making a dedicated passwords app has always been the future is passwordless idea but i think over the last six months since password pass keys came to ios 16 and ventura adoption's been pretty slow 
and not having a dedicated password app in my opinion, probably leads to more people not really using things like two-factor authentication and not really keeping an active eye on their passwords. So moving that out of settings, I think, and even in the interim until passkeys are more widely available, I think it would do quite a bit for having people improve their account security. And two, I mean, it could look at the accounts you already have and I know, I think Best Buy is one of the websites that supports passkeys right now. It could tell you, like, hey, you have an account at Best Buy. They support passkeys already, so let's transition you to using a passkey for extra security. Because without that, that's just something most people aren't even, A, going to know exists, and B, definitely not going to do. Yeah, because, like, I feel like it just generally needs more user interface to get people to understanding what's going on. Like, I have a passkey set up with eBay, but... I don't think there's anywhere in, like, macOS that you can even see that that's set up mm-hmm. or configured. Like, let's say I want to revoke the passkey because I don't want it anymore. I don't think I can actually do that through the interface anywhere. I can't find it. Like, you can find the passwords autofill if you, you know, dig into those places that are, you know, not front of mind for most people, but they do exist. But the actual passkey stuff has, from what I can tell, no user interface apart from when you're actually setting one up in the first place. And I kind of feel like that's almost effectively the same deal with password autofill on the iphone mm-hmm. because people see it when they use safari and the keyboard right and it pops up do you want to use a song password do you want to remember the password but i don't think 99 percent of the iphone using population have any idea they could even go and review those passwords in settings like passwords the the item is not at the top of the screen when you open the settings app there are plenty of other things that show above it, plenty of other things you probably need on a less often basis. And having UI to see your passwords is something that just comes up. Like, you know, let's say you have a um, a work laptop, right, that doesn't have iCloud installed, it doesn't have the, you know, the Windows utility for iCloud installed, and you just need to log into something, the password's stored on your phone. Like, I think Apple's best solution is you, like, ask Siri for the password. Anything you have to ask Siri for should always have, like, a decent visual UI to go along with it. And... The password's pain in settings is just, it's just not that. What people, what most, you know, regular people need to use something on a regular basis is an icon on their home screen. Like, you just need a logo and a, and a name, passwords, and just stick it on the home screen. Otherwise, it just kind of falls out of, of mind. It falls out of people's, like, you know, muscle memory to even think about it. And so then, oh, I don't know, I have no idea where this password is. I guess I'll just move on with life, you know? Like, if it's on the home screen as an icon, people discover it, people know how to use it. And it's more complicated these days because there's even like third-party integrations because like Apple lets you have um, other apps have a password, you know, autofill on the keyboard, like one password, but they have an app icon because they're an actual app and Apple's doesn't. Like, And maybe as um, the kind of monopoly competition stuff comes in more and more, Apple might, you know, want to or be forced to open up the systems password autofill to every application, not just Safari, so like alternative web browsers. And when that happens, does it really want to be like in a settings pane in Safari on the Mac? And like, I just feel like there's so many problems that culminate in a big issue that would be completely resolved if you could just have a passwords icon on the home screen that people would know that was there by default. People would immediately be aware of it and know to go and use it. And it could manage all sorts of stuff. Like as soon as you put something in settings, the top left button, the top left real estate of the screen is already taken up by the back button because you've got to go back to the previous main of settings. If you have a dedicated app, you immediately have at least one more place where you can put a, you know, a UI button to do something different, right? To give you a different view on the data. Or you can have like a tab bar at the button, have different views of your passwords. Just having it as a password pane inside of settings is so limiting, I feel like, for, for no good reason. And that's on the iPhone. On the Mac is even weirder because it's in Safari settings and then a tab in Safari settings, which is even more bizarre. And speaking of things that are hidden deep in settings, they do the credit card autofill feature where it say Safari will save your credit card information. And I think as of either last year or the year before, it'll even save the the three-digit CVV yeah, code. Yeah, that was an iOS 16 thing, yeah. And, I mean, that's buried in settings and Safari than in autofill, which is... And then on the Mac, it's even more awkward, of course. And that's another thing that can go into the passwords app. And it's something one password already does. So 
They either need to yeah, if they wanted to if they wanted to give it a more visual UI, they could even integrate it into like the wallet app because I don't yeah. think it's like a million miles away to have like passwords in your wallet. You know, like so if they wanted to give it a metaphor, they could shove it into wallet and it would probably work quite well in there. Um, so much you know, no more different than like home keys and stuff that also live in wallet. It's just passwords are just kind of you know keys without a physical key. Uh, but you could do a dedicated standard application, include all that stuff in it, include all the autofill stuff like the save credit cards thing. Yeah, for sure. Because I have had someone ask me, like, I have an old an old credit card I have keeps popping up on the keyboard. Mm-hmm. How do I delete it? And it's like, well, you have to go <laughs> settings, general, safari, autofill. It's like no one normal would ever think to go that place to find that thing. If it was on the keyboard um, as an autofill option, they could just have an immediate link that would take you to the passwords app where that information's stored and you can manage it from there. Like, Give stuff a UI, it makes it makes it a lot cleaner. I do think too, one of the things you said that's incredibly true is people will use the generate strong password feature and then they won't know how to go find that password if they need to have it for another reason, whether it's to Yep. The autofill box doesn't come up for some reason or like one thing, like me and my sisters have some passwords that we share for kind of central login things and I'll ask one of them for the password and they won't know how to get it to me because they don't know to go into settings and do all of that. And uh, but I guarantee you, if there was a passwords icon on the home screen, exactly. people would be, be immediately aware of it. And Apple has built-in apps for all sorts of stuff. Like, passwords are pretty important. Like, how many... Like, think... Apple ships a Compass app on the iPhone. <laughs> like, how many people ever use the Compass app? Very, very, very few. But how many people need passwords on a daily basis? A lot more. And, and we keep having all these scandals, you know, last passes and all these scandals of yep. data privacy problems and stuff like that. Apple, Apple's password feature is a marketable thing that they can even sell against iCloud subscriptions, right? Like mm-hmm. they could have iCloud, you know, as part of iCloud Plus, they could add some special password features that you don't get through the normal way and you have to upgrade if they really want to, you know, monetize it. Even if not, it's just a nice feature of basic iCloud. And like, it doesn't really have a brand. Like, I don't think iCloud Keychain is a thing that people know what you know normal no. people don't really understand what it is right but if you just had a passwords app or even a keychain app on the home screen it would be a lot more a lot more understandable because even if you do understand keychain as a as a concept you then go on the mac you do not want normal people using <laughs> the keychain access app because it's like you know it's this arcane thing that isn't really meant to be used by a normal person it's meant to be like a debug facility for like administrators and whatnot um, but you go in there and it does have the passwords listed as like these items, but you can very easily delete them or mess them up. Like you need a, a, a much more viable um, UI that's friendly to people that could, you can even have tips and tricks about passwords and, you know, do you know you can do it through Siri and blah, 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 blah. It's like, it, it feels like a, a no brainer, but it's surprising to me they, they've had shown, you know, up to iOS 16 version, they had shown no interest in it. Because when they, when they, I think it was iOS 14, when they added it to the top page of settings. Mm, I think so. Like, surely at that point, there must have been a decision. Why are we going to do this as an app or not? And clearly, obviously, in iOS 14, they chose not to. Yeah. So, no, it's a conscious I decision, I think. They're, they have a reason they're not doing it. And it's probably because of pass keys, but... And maybe they intended on pass keys becoming a thing quicker than it has been, because... Passkeys is this open source or universal login method, and it's not just Apple. They can't push forward and adopt it by themselves. So maybe Apple's timeline was to have passkeys ready in iOS 14 or iOS 15, and the FIDO alliance and working with Google and Microsoft and all of that, just it wasn't viable yet. So their decision not to make a passwords app came back to bite them a little bit. Yeah, I'd be interested if that was the real reason, because surely they weren't that optimistic that, yeah. you know, the passwordless future was literally right around the corner. I don't know. Like, One thing, if you do want... Because, like, the password screen settings also has all those security recommendation stuff, like, you know, yeah. change your password on this website because it's been found in data breach. All of this thing could be, like, a dedicated tab in an actual app. Like, I don't think the the hypothetical app is, is lacking for things it could display and things it could do. Oh, no. Like... It, like the the passwords settings pane I'm looking at now it has edit and plus to add a new password in the same group on the right hand side of the screen in the top right toolbar and whenever you see a toolbar with like two buttons right next to it on the right I feel like it's just squishing stuff in because that's the only space available not it's the mm-hmm. best way to express this interface you know what I mean yeah. and if, if it was a standalone application it wouldn't have that problem 
I do think we should point out too, if you do want quicker, somewhat access to pass passwords on your home screen, there's a shortcut that you can add that you tap and it takes you directly to the passwords pane in settings. And so I have this on my iPhone's home screen and in my Mac's menu bar. And it works fine. I mean, it takes you to that same kind of very bare bones interface, but but it works and it's better than having to tap multiple times to get there. And that one was actually created by uh, Ricky Modello and they work on the passwords team at Apple. So the fact that they made it... I I don't know if they're thinking it's an interim solution or what, but it exists and it's helpful to a degree, but it's definitely not the, shouldn't be the final solution. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So come on, Apple, sort out a password app. Also this week, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman said in his Power On newsletter that while he doesn't expect anything major to happen this year for Apple Watch hardware, because, uh, we're exp- the, the, like, there's loads of micro LED uh, rumors flying about for Apple Watch displays, but that's not scheduled to arrive until 2024 or maybe 2025 with a new Apple Watch Ultra. The the full update for Apple Watch hardware is just can probably be a little spec bump, nothing crazy, no new sensors on the docket, um, at least as we know so far. But in contrast to the kind of you know iterative hardware update, he expects that the software this year, WatchOS 10, while we're at WatchOS 10. Um, will feature significant changes, including notable updates to the user interface, uh, end quote. Obviously, the Apple Watch UI has been relatively unchanged um, since many, many versions, right? Yeah. Like the first, the first version came out and it had those glances and it had some weirdness with the, you know, the side button opening that kind of friends interface. They they revised that over a couple of versions, but by about WatchOS three, the basic structure of the Apple Watch operating system has not changed at all, right? Like they've added and they've just added a few more apps in. They've added a few more capabilities and they've added a lot more watch faces over the years. But the actual kind of raw system has has not changed. So. And I know a few people kind of laughed at Gem's report. It's like, WatchOS tend to bring new features, you know, mm-hmm. you can you can chuckle at it. But notable changes to the to the UI is like a thing because you can't really say that about any previous WatchOS version going back to the last five years. Um, he doesn't obviously detail what's changing, but it was curious to me because it does kind of feel like the Apple Watch software could do with some stuff um, that could be changed. I mean, for the longest time, people get annoyed at the Honeycomb Grid app layout. I actually quite like the Honeycomb Grid, but, you know, it's been a it's been a frustration source of frustration for many for a while, and Apple even added a, a, a way to switch between the grid and a, and a alphabetical list, uh, which is you know uncharacteristic of them. They could have just changed to a list, but no, they kept both options there. So that feels like a compromise they could resolve. The the dock, they keep changing like you know it, it goes sideways, it scrolls vertically, it scrolls horizontally, but it's still a dock at the end of the day. And I and I don't feel like most Apple Watch users ever go there, so it feels no. like another place where like a core surface that people should be interacting with that they don't. So like, I feel like there's plenty of places with the Apple Watch software that they could make changes to try and, you know, measurably improve the experience for people. It's hard to think of anything specific. I don't know if yeah. you've got anything off the top of your head that would directly make the Apple Watch better for you in terms of like OS UI. No, you basically took the words out of my mouth where it's things, I can think of some things that should change, but I don't know how they can change. And I don't know how the, whether the problems are with the actual functionality of things like the dock or whether it's the design. So it's like notable changes, sure, but how and what's going to change and if it's all going to be just user interface changes or because there's no new hardware to take advantage of, but they could, what they could do is add some new things to take advantage of the bigger, the bigger screens on the ultra and also on the, mm-hmm. the regular series seven series eight. I mean, because when you really think about the last time we had big changes, it was when the Series Three basically was the dominant watch. So that the keeping the Series Three around so long probably held them back in that regard. Yeah, when, when they did the Series Four, which had the more rounded mm-hmm. corners and stuff, they upgraded a lot of the watch faces to have you know the more rich complications. Yeah, the, the corner complications. The corner complications. Um, with like the gorges and the and the dials and stuff, um, and they changed a little bit of how the OS looked in terms of the titles. Like that was when they introduced those kind of big titles that you scroll and they then you know compress down to the little text you keep scrolling. Uh, but structurally, it was still 
the same platform. I think, what do people... Like, my problem with, is Apple going to customize the UI for the Ultra? Is I don't know if the Ultra sells enough volume for it to really be worth it. Like, you look at what they did on iOS. iOS is designed around one screen size, basically. And it's the it's the base iphone screen size right so whatever the iphone the cheapest iphone that isn't the se right so like the iphone 14 that screen size is like clearly the target screen size for the os and they sell a lot of pluses and a lot of maxes uh but over the years you know not just this generation but you know historically and there's been very little indication they do anything to really take advantage of the extra couple of inches you get on those bigger sizes and in fact some of the changes they had with like the extra landscape modes and things they actually got rid of because people didn't use them or they were not very useful so they've simplified it back down to it just being you know a bigger version of the same thing i kind of feel like that's how they're going to approach the apple watch os2 where like they target the main the main device size which is the 44 45 millimeter that kind of range and the ultra will just be a bigger version of it with maybe you know maybe you see a couple more lines of text when you look at a message for instance like I feel like major significant UI changes are not going to be focused on the bigger screens unless every single Apple Watch is suddenly getting a much bigger screen, which isn't going to happen because there's yeah. no indication they're going to get rid of the smaller watches. Um, so realistically, I feel like the places where they can make meaningful changes is either with how you inter- it, how you launch apps and how you um, interact with an app. Because I think a lot of people, you know, whether they like the Honeycomb upgrade or not, they just don't use apps as much as Apple wanted them to in general on the watch. So maybe there can be some changes there to how they're surfaced. I think another target is the dock, like we said before, with the side button. Like the scrolly back multitask and tray thing doesn't really have much value on a watch. So, like, I feel like there could be something else they could put there that would be better. Honestly, one of the things I use the Apple Watch for the most is just messaging friends and stuff and using it for text messages and replies. So, the original conception of it being used as like a friends button would probably be more useful to me than its current use as like the dock thing, which yep. I very rarely use. And then finally, I feel like the other place where they could target a lot of UI changes is notification management because the notification center that you get by swiping down from the top of the screen on current Apple Watch is just a a list, right? And you have to scroll all the way to the top of the list to clear all notifications in the list. And the management and the layout is really not very suitable to a two-inch sized watch display. And notification management is meant to be one of the big selling points of the Apple Watch, right? Like, it's it's messaging, notifications, and fitness. And I feel like the fitness stuff, they, they plow resources into every single year after year after year, adding new stuff. And we saw that with WatchOS 9. I'm sure it'll be changed with WatchOS 10 too. But the kind of communication messaging and notification management stuff has kind of gone, you know, slipped under the rug a little bit and not got the same amount of attention. So if I was, if I was like, you know... Craig Federer, you planning out the years of OS release, and it's like, we're going to do some UI changes to the Apple Watch. I feel like notifications on Apple Watch would be a great place to do it. Maybe they could integrate some like artificial intelligence stuff to more naturally group notifications together, even just allowing notifications to have custom alerts with custom vibrations and ringtones would be a huge step up because the iPhone's offered that for a long time, but you can't do it on the Apple Watch, so they all have the same vibration, the same look, the same sound. It's really annoying. Um, you know, those ideas they had with glances way back in the day they clearly weren't ready for you know the power of the hardware of watchOS 1 and watchOS 2 at those times the series 0 etc but maybe something like that is a more um approachable way to handle notifications on an apple watch and i know the um in the modern era and i know like the google watches have a slightly different way of doing notifications which is more glance like um and maybe like live activities become like live activities aren't on the apple watch at all this year right Right. So maybe WatchOS 10, they could make it more prominent. So like, you have a little live activity that's running this. You have these kind of mini glance style widgets that appear in the notification center, and it's not just this like static list of text that goes on for pages and pages and pages and pages. So there's nothing like concrete that I could point to, but I definitely feel like there's stuff they can do. So like, because I saw the Reddit thread that was talking about this story um, on the on the. And power on report and people are like it's just an apple watch it doesn't your fitness like why why do you need ui changes and i don't think that sentiment is accurate i think there's loads of potential for them to make stuff a lot lot better uh, but we don't really know specifically what just yet and even thinking and maybe it'll be a big downer and it won't yeah. be anything significant but hopefully not and even thinking on the health and fitness landscape thing there's for one there's no dedicated health app on the apple watch itself so to view your health data you can view some of it in like the heart app and some of it in the 
the blood oxygen app, but having a way to view all of that directly on the watch would be a pretty nice upgrade for when you don't have your iPhone around. And if you needed to check something and wanted to view history for a specific metric, that would be very useful. And then, I mean, the fitness app itself is relatively unchanged. The core functionality is relatively unchanged. There are a lot of ways Apple can update that experience to be a bit more modern, including something like rest days to help you better mm-hmm. balance your weekly progress and not overdo it and not lose your streak at the same time. Then I do think live activities too is a, could be a key to improving the notification experience because even moving some of those notifications either into a single live activity and notification center or even putting it directly on the watch face itself so you can view it at a glance, that would go. And then just like on the iPhone, when the live activity is over, it disappears and you move on. It's not lingering in notification center for however long it is until you scroll all the way up to the top and hit clear all. <laughs> Which used to be better back in the day because you had forced touch. You yep. could just long press and hold on that on that section and clear it that way. Um, so yeah, and, and just talking about the fitness thing, because that is such a like number one use case for the watch, that side button that currently goes to the dock, what if it went to like this kind of fitness UI where you see a summary of your day, you see summary of your week, but also you have like quick buttons to launch workouts because one of the things i do the most on my apple watch is i press the crown to go to the app grid i launch the fitness app then i scroll and i hit outdoor walk and i start an outdoor walk workout and i do that so often and that must be a a use case that so many people do on the apple watch it feels like something that shouldn't be three levels deep they could just make it like you know as important as the watch face in many ways because a lot of people are just using the apple watch as a fitness tracker so the ui is definitely has work to be done on it it's not a you know, it's certainly not signed, sealed, and delivered. How much they deliver this year is is the question. Uh, there was also um, somewhat related an iOS 17 kind of report that said that iOS 17, although um, we're not expecting a huge overhaul for iOS uh, this year, uh, German said it's going to have some nice to have features, and there was a rumor from a tipster on the Mac Rumors forums who has been uh, previously accurate that Control Center will be completely designed in iOS 17. And Control Center is the thing that for the early years of... Since obviously Control Center was first introduced with iOS 7 and then it was like a swipe up from the bottom little card. And then they redesigned it with iOS 8 and they redesigned it again with iOS 9. And then it got redesigned to be from the top right when they did the iPhone 10. And that design, which was 2017, has kind of stayed through to the present day where you have these kind of floating tiles and you can long press them and you can tap on them to do stuff. Um, And kind of like the ui so i'm not like chomping at the bit for it to be changed up but i would like control center to be more customizable like i feel like all those tiles you see in control center just like widgets on the home screen where you can long press rearrange change them out make a little stack like all of that kind of conceptual organization and customization should also be applicable to control center but you don't really get that on control center you can choose which toggles appear there in terms of the kind of last few rows at the bottom but the general structure of it is mostly fixed in place and you can't do anything about it apart from they have this home section where it shows all your home kit stuff and that dynamically changes based on who knows what factors (laughs) but again you can't specifically customize it it's just there if you want it or completely hidden so for control center i don't care so much about the kind of like design of it like i kind of like the tunnels and the quick actions to the volume and the brightness is great but i'd love to be able to change what apps go there for instance change the shortcut buttons at the bottom move some stuff around and more like the the ios home screen is able to do whereas control center is mostly um little platters that are fixed in place and some of that could be accomplished by being able to customize it directly from the control center swipe down you should like right now you can jump all the way into settings and then kind of drag the the rows around but that yeah, you're doesn't give an you... abstract list you're yeah. not like actually maneuvering the tiles like you are when you move widgets around on the iphone home exactly yeah. and so in, in the actual control center interface if you could long press on something drag it down drag it over put a row of smaller icons at the top that would be that would go a long way towards making that better especially because i don't think most people even know that you can go into settings and customize those bottom icons at all 
And I've always found that now it defaults to not having clean rows. Yep. So like if you set up a new iPhone, it's like at the bottom, it'll have like two icons. It won't be all the way across because of just how many there are. And so I always have to customize it just to make them line up neatly at the bottom. <laughs> but it just feels something that should be unnecessary. And yeah, in terms of customization, I'd love, like the thing I probably use the most in Control Center is the now playing little tile there. Yeah. But it's like a two by two size widget. I wish it could be like full width, you know, make it huge. Like I want to see album art, I want to see what's coming up. Like if I if it was more customizable, you could kind of drag it around and get small, medium, large sizes, just like you can with home screen widgets. Um, except the control center stuff is interactive and not just you know inform information. I think in the older design of control center, didn't you have like a better now playing interface? I think. Yeah, because they had the, the the old control center like popped up from the bottom yeah, and it was yeah. like swipeable through mm-hmm. so you had like page one was your toggles like wi-fi and airplane mode and bluetooth and torch and stuff like that and then you'd swipe and it would basically give you a half screen high yeah playing right. interface basically but it was similar to the interface you now get on the lock screen when something's playing mm-hmm. um but obviously control center is, av- is available from anywhere and it's just that small two by two square Control Center is one of those things, though. If they change it too much, change the default too much, you're going to make people mad, and they're going to wonder where yeah. their button for Wi-Fi or or focus modes or what airplane mode went. And so they have to walk a thin line there. But again, it's really yeah, like customization. They don't need to change the default yeah. layout. They just need to make it more flexible. Yeah. And finally, this week the WWDC train continues. Obviously, it was. Um, announced last week and this week uh, Apple has notified developers and students have been selected to attend the in-person shindig which we think is going to basically be identical to last year Mm -hmm. where they have people in that um, courtyard area in Apple Park and then they they come together to watch a video just like the same video that everybody's watching at home the only thing I think despite the fact that they're supposedly launching a headset yeah (laughs) Yeah, and the only thing I think that they're kind of saying different this year is that you'll have the opportunity to meet with some of the teams at Apple and the Apple Design Awards. The wording that they're using is really weird. It's celebrate great apps at the Apple Design Awards, which seems to maybe seem like there's going to be an in-person event for our Apple Design Awards. Not Didn't they do that last year as well? Did they? I don't... I thought last year they were announced on the... So basically after the keynote, they had people come up on that same stage. Oh, did they? They presented the design awards. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think you're right. Because they, they also had State of the Union in the afternoon, which was watching yeah. the video, right? Mm-hmm. But the design awards, I'm pretty sure were done in person. Well, in that case, then yeah, it sounds almost identical to last year. Yeah. Because remember last year too, they had opportunities to quote meet the team when they had that you know you could go on you could elect to go on a little walk around apple park or you could go to the developer center and see that there so in terms of format it seems almost identical last year um the question is whether they're going to do anything special because they're going to have the headset uh unveiling happen i think what probably will happen is developers will get the exact same experience they got last year press Maybe not so. Maybe they'll have hands-on directly on the same day in like Steve Jobs Theater or something for the press, something like that. They had That's kind of where I'm heading. They had hands-on last year, I think, for the new MacBook Air in the Steve Jobs Theater like atrium thing. So that well, okay. When I yeah, when I say hands-on, I mean like a proper session. Yeah, like yeah. When you see the MacBook Air, it was like in the Steve Jobs Theater atrium, and you could like take pictures of it or quote go hands-on with it, like <laughs> typing on it. But it's not this. Like you can't do that for the press on trying a headset out right people want to wear the headset they want to try the applications like i feel like they're going to have a massive something to show everything off kind of like like the old hands-on centers like you know mm-hmm. the thing is hands-on with a headset is just way different to hands-on with like a laptop or an ipad you, you know what i mean right yeah. like you've got to go in you've got to have like guided tours go by go um you know come in here you can take video for your youtube channel We'll let you put the headset on. We'll show you, guide you through the OS that's brand new. We'll show you experiences. Okay, off you go. Like the hands-on of last year was basically just like, here's an Apple Store layout. Go and touch the products. Okay, now it's time to go home. And they did have briefings with press the days after mm-hmm. and stuff. But I feel like this time around, it's going to be more substantial. The counter argument would be is that the press don't really get to do anything because Apple doesn't think it's ready enough to show people that are going to write critically about it so it might you might get to walk in and 
see it in a glass case and then mm, get escorted yeah, out. That's possible. That it really, possible. I mean, it comes down, I guess, to how polished they think the software is. And in that scenario, yeah. I do think developers would be the one to get a more extended hands-on experience with it. And for all we know, develop, some developers have already been briefed about it and know a little bit about it. Yeah, have some prototypes. For demos or, or they, whatever. They'll have, some, they'll have some demos of yeah. games or something, you know, or experiences that have already been made. We've heard that Disney is working on some stuff uh, with John Favreau and whatnot. Um, yeah, like, there's just a dichotomy, right, where even if you're not letting press go hands-on with it right now, it is very weird to me that you're going to invite everybody in person, quote-unquote, to watch a video of them announcing headset hardware, which is so designed to be shown off in a real theater of real real people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they need a, like a, an in, a live demo of some kind. Even if the press aren't the ones in participating in the demo, they just need to spectate somebody else doing it, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I think something like that, it will be different to last year uh, somehow. We just don't know exactly how yet. Yeah, my only question, like I said, is whether the press gets to try on the headset or mm. they get to watch. I think you're right, though. It's going to be too soon. Mm-hmm. I mean, although when when the Apple Watch was announced September, were people allowed to try it? Like that yeah. was September 2014. I, it was shown off in in the little hall place they set up afterwards, right? The little tent. But I don't think people could wear it. It was just kind of there for taking pictures of. No, people got to wear it. It looks like uh, people wore it. Okay, they had them up on the pedestals, and you could take them down and try it on, take your pictures and your video. Okay, you could try it on. Okay, you probably couldn't use much of the OS, no, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the thing with the headset; like, the experience is wearing it, right? Mm-hmm. It's not taking a photo of. It. <laughs> like, so they need something different to last year to be able to get people on board with this thing that everybody's skeptical about anyway. And it's all very seems to be very down to the wire where they are scrambling to get this thing ready even to be announced at WWDC. And they they might not and decide even if it's announced how much appeal is it yeah. going to have because it's going to cost a fortune yeah. and you know be very niche and, and whatnot. But Apple can't help themselves like they want to make a big show and dance about something. Yeah. Even if it even if it doesn't actually have that much sub- substance behind it. So that's probably why I think they're doing the video again this year is cuz they can make that video a lot more flashy and polished and perfect than they, than they can a live a live announcement a live product demo yeah maybe maybe i'm just being blinkered by my own bias because the live stuff is so much yeah. more compelling yeah but apple loves but the production apple, value of those videos you can be safe you can be safe and do it on a video but the problem is if you do it safe and do it on a video i i just feel like you need impressions soon after it's announced mm-hmm. from even if it's just a few people going okay i tried this out the head tracking really worked. It really feels like you're in an all-manual environment. You know, do you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're just watching a video, somebody else doing it. People are going to be like, well, it's an AR headset. Like, the quality difference between the headsets that have come before and the Apple one, which is why it's going to cost so much more money, I feel like is going to be tangible and you won't get the difference just by watching a video. Now, you could say, well, you'll then get people, the press writing about it when it comes out at the end of the year. But it just feels like something where they want to get the the goodwill rolling early. So I feel like, you know, even if it's not everybody, every member of the press that goes there, a few people within a week, this is okay, this is me going out on a, on a <laughs> big women, but within a week of the announcement in June, right, they will have hands on in some way with some members of the press. So somebody can write, I tried out the headset on and it was amazing. Yeah. Because if you just watch a video of it, People aren't going to say it's amazing because they're just watching a video. And the problem with watching videos of ARV are things that you don't know how attached to the real experience they are, right? Because mm-hmm. you can easily you can easily fake a demo when it's a video, right? Or even just the visualization of the real thing doesn't have the same impact as you sitting there wearing it on your head and looking around and going, wow, this, this dinosaur looks amazing right in front of me. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. I feel it, it, maybe it's not done directly at Apple Park on the Monday, but some point within a very short proximity to the actual announcement they need like hands on from the from the press to be like yeah this thing's legit you know yeah I, they'll strike a balance i'm sure it won't just be a free for all but people yeah. like the new york times and the verge though and and you know mkbhd or something yeah not us though not us though not us not us uh, y- uh y- anything else you're looking forward for at this wwdc uh i mean it's 
it's hard to know just how much time they'll give the headset, but if they do focus a little bit on other hardware, this 15-inch MacBook Air is mm-hmm. really calling my name. And if they if they announce that, that'll overshadow the headset for me. I'm I'm very excited about a 15-inch MacBook Air, but. And I, I've lost track. Is it meant to have an M3 or is it M2? I can't remember. That there's conflicting reports, it's conflicting. but okay. our latest report was it's M3, and there's also and simultaneously they're through the M3 13 inch and an M3 version of that entry level MacBook Pro. Yeah, the Touch Bar one. Yeah, yeah. The because the M3 is a big deal on its own. Yeah, right? like the M2 was a. You know, normal iteration, but M3 is three nanometer. I think it's going to be a lot more performant, a lot more battery efficient. Um, maybe have some of those GP upgrades that were supposedly rumored for last cycle, but got pushed back. So that could take up a huge chunk of time at, at the keynote as well. And uh, which German has said iOS 17. Well, first he said a relatively small update. Then he said nice to have features. Nice to have. So the question <laughs> is, how is that going to take five minutes, 10 minutes? Like, because last year there were they focused on iOS quite a bit because there was not much else. But, I mean, within iOS 17, the biggest thing I can think of that I want, they Dynamic Island, it's good, but like we talked about earlier, it's kind of A, not very well adopted by Apple, and B, it's kind of a mess when you have multiple things competing mm-hmm. for those two spots in the island. One thing that I've experienced a lot recently is the MLB app. They added live activity support so you can track games on the lock screen and in the dynamic island. But then if you're simultaneously listening to the radio broadcast of the game through the MLB app, that live activity for the audio takes over the big spot on the dynamic island. And then the live activity for the game progress is moved over to the second cutout. So all you see is your team's icon. And as far as I can tell, I cannot figure out a way to force one, one live activity into the big spot and either hide the other live activity. You can, you can, if you swipe left to right on the big one, it it will make it dismiss, which should make the other one take up the space. It makes the bigger one take up the space though. Doesn't it? Uh, I think it depends which way you swipe. Oh, really? I feel like I've done it before where, like, the, the timer's in the small one and I've made it be big. Well, I have... But that, 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 will, that will reoccur every single time you launch the app, if you see yeah. what I mean. So it's not like a, a solution, it's like a workaround. So, yeah, some more customization or granularity over what exactly is located where and if those features are already there, just make them easier to discover because I did not know that if that's the case, I'll have to try it tonight. But other, in iOS 17, I'd love some focus on Apple Music. Apple Music hasn't changed a whole lot in terms of its interface. It's added the lossless audio and the spatial audio stuff. But the actual design of the app, more or less the same for the past few years. So some modernization, uh, some features like Crossfade, finally, maybe, Mm -hmm. which has been on Android for over, I want to say almost two years now. Yep. (laughs) And Apple Music, social features of some sort, some collaborative playlists, something like that. Ultimately, I'd be happy with WWDC if the headset demo's impressive and we get a hands-on experience with it. And those nice-to-have features in iOS 17 are actually nice-to-have, and they're not. not just small minor changes that won't impact much and i'm curious to see how they balance those feature additions with what german had first said which was bug fixes and overall stability improvements which is which those are definitely needed too yeah because if if most of their engineering effort yet this year has gone to the headset it's gonna be a you know, an arc of ooh, excitement but then the reality sets in that most people are not going to buy the headset for a very long right. time uh, so the OS updates this year will basically be you know, negligible of, of interest. So I'm hoping they got some stuff in the pocket that they can whip out. And you know, if you're happy in the first hour with the updates to iOS, watchOS, tvOS, and macOS, then you can be you can have the 
you know the dessert of the of the intrigue of the headset in the, mm-hmm. in the second hour of the, of the presentation if you if you get what i mean that's what i'm hoping for the 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 report this week that he thinks watchOS will have significant new updates is definitely a good sign in that direction because uh, even if there's no new features reorganizing make it look different it gives it a new a new uh, new dash of paint but obviously i'm interested in looking and seeing this headset too mm-hmm. and what they're going to show it off as but i don't necessarily think it's going to be the thing that you know wows general consumers just based on everything we've heard obviously yeah i'm excited to see it but i'm having kind of like you i think a hard time getting too excited about it just because i know that anything at least that i would probably buy and use on a regular basis is still it's interesting as an analyst not so much as like Mm -hmm. the consumer right yeah, exactly. Because the cheaper version still is cool. Two years yeah. away, it can be cool but useless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm expecting, at least initially. All right, that is the Happy Hour podcast for the week. You can find me on Twitter and Mastodon uh, at BZA Mango. Chance, where can people find you? Twitter or Mastodon at Chance H Miller, and obviously on Nine to Five Mac every single day with incredible coverage. <laughs> And the 9 to 5 Mac daily podcast, too, if you want. The day's yes, Apple news day in news. 5 to 10 minutes. It's it's worth a listen, I'd say so. It's a, it's a good show. It's a good show. Uh, you can subscribe to Happy Hour ad-free if you want to in the Apple Podcast app for four ninety nine a month. Uh, we also thank you for supporting our sponsors, including Ladder, this episode. And with all that being said, we will be back next week. Goodbye.